0: Well, once again, I want to welcome you to this series of teachings on Revelation, not mystery. We're studying the book of Revelation, Uh, perhaps a subtitle would be End Time Revelations, and I think it's absolutely vital that uh, we get a deep understanding from the scripture uh, as to what is happening in the world today and how this affects our lives, how we can respond, how we can prepare. And the wonderful thing about the Lord is, of course, that he is outside of time. And therefore, he knows the end from the beginning, the beginning from the end. And so scripture is full of prophecy. And the book of Revelation is primarily a prophetic book that shows things to come. And so we, uh, as his people, can know the things that are happening. We can discern the times and we can know the things to come so that we can prepare. We can be protected and we can be influential in days like today. There's nothing that surprises the Lord, okay? Um, And he speaks to us through his word, preparing us. He doesn't do anything or allow anything on earth, in a sense, to happen without first speaking to his prophets, as the scripture says. And so we're doing this series to prepare you, to edify you, to encourage you, to show you that, yes, there are terrible things happening. More terrible things are to come. But this is a, this has a, another side to this story. As I quoted in the first session, as Charles Dickens said, these are the best of times and the worst of times. So even though the darkness is getting darker, you can be sure the light is going to shine brighter. And the glorious good news of these end times is the fact that Jesus is coming back, Maranatha, Lord Jesus. Jesus is coming back and we are going to see him face to face. And because of that, as we see his glory, indeed, we shall receive glorified bodies. We shall be glorified with his glory, so to speak. And so these are glorious days we're living in i want you to have a sense of expectation a sense of urgency but a positive um, expectation of good things to happen because for the believer for the overcomer god has got wonderful promises at a time like this you don't need to be afraid you don't need to panic okay Uh, this has already been thought through this has already been planned god has made a way where there is no way okay so uh, as you as you Hear the what I'm teaching and build your life in it. I know a great sense of peace is going to come into your heart, okay? You won't be anxious about anything because you'll know that the Lord has gone before you as your good shepherd. and the promise is that goodness and mercy shall follow you all the days of your life, even in these troubling times. okay? You are under a hedge of protection. Psalm 91 is something I taught on quite a lot recently and it shows clearly a distinction between the believer and the unbeliever the one who has a covenant with God and the one that doesn't the one who rests in the secret place of the almighty who abides there uh, he has certain God gives him certain privileges okay portions that others don't have protection and provision in the time of trials. so we're teaching about the book of Revelation and I began to teach and show that this was never meant to be a mystery. this is a revelation of Jesus Christ. okay? Uh, God spoke things in this book that are absolutely vital for us to stand, to understand. Um, but the world and intellectuals um, have tried to tell us that both the book of Genesis and the book of Revelation uh, are, are either fantasies or fairy tales or too complicated or too mysterious to understand, okay? And therefore, they should be discarded or dismissed, but I'm here to tell you that this book was written for such a time as this, hallelujah, okay? If there was ever a time to teach about Revelation, it's now. If there was ever a time to speak about end time events or eschatology, then it is now because all the signs of the times are pointing to the fact that time is short, that Jesus is coming. So in today's session, I want to give you some keys to understanding the book of Revelation because it is, in a sense, full of mystery. It has got a whole lot of different language and And symbolism and figures and all sorts of things going on, dramatic celestial changes, occurrences on earth that perhaps have never been seen before. And when you look at it, it sometimes can feel very overwhelming or you can get lost in the the so many happenings. But I want today to give you three keys that will help you to understand the book of Revelation. And using these keys, you'll be able to unlock it like never before. Okay, and these keys are understanding symbols, understanding numbers, and understanding the divisions uh, in the chapters of this book. Okay, I'll explain those in a moment, but let's just think in a broader context about the actual book itself. Well, let's remember that it was written by the Apostle John, he was the Apostle, the scripture says, whom Jesus loved. Hallelujah! So, this was the Apostle who had such an intimate, wonderful. relationship with the lord perhaps the the most intimate and closest of them all and when you have intimacy with god uh then he reveals deep things of his heart to you it's the same with any type of relationship the more intimate you are with someone the more that person will open up to you and reveal things to you okay so john was given the privilege of receiving this revelation of christ this revelation of christ glorified okay and uh, obviously the fact that John wrote it adds real weight because he was one of the, the main apostles. And let's think about the letters he wrote. Uh, they reveal that he had such a deep understanding and revelation of the love of God and the grace of God. Um, we know from, from, from the scripture and from church history that he lived in the city of Ephesus and tradition says that whenever he got up to speak and give a sermon, his sermons were always very short and they tended to be very repetitive. He would get up and he would say a new commandment thus says the Lord, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, even as I loved you. And so he would repeat uh, the, the, the fact of the love of God for us and how the love of God casts out all fear and how that we now love him because he loved us first and his emphasis was always on the love of God and of course this is the principal point of scripture this is the reason why God made mankind was because of his love he wanted to create a being that could receive his love and his blessing and so it's you know his his writings revealed that he understood the deepest things of God okay it wasn't necessarily writing new things like some preachers always want to say something new but it's not really about receiving something new it's about getting revelation it's about understanding the heart of God that really counts okay now remembering too that the apostle John was the only apostle, apostle that died naturally the others were all martyred And some of them much, much younger than him. He lived um, to an old age. And it was when he was an old man that this revelation of Christ was given to him. He had seen Jesus in the flesh. He had touched the word of flesh as he writes in his his letters. Um, But now he was seeing Christ resurrected and glorified. Uh, He wrote the book of Revelation in AD 95 when all the others had died, and he at the time was isolated and imprisoned on an island called Patmos in the Mediterranean. And it's interesting when we think about the book of Revelation, because it's part of the canon of Scripture, the authorised books of Scripture, And but it was the last book to be included in the canon of Scripture. And the reason was that the early church fathers who decided which books should be included in the 4th century Uh, they discussed the book of Revelation, and because they felt it was so difficult to understand and of little practical value at the time, it was almost excluded. Uh, Interestingly, years later, even Martin Luther, the great leader of the Reformation, uh, felt like it should be taken out of the canon of Scripture. But thank God those uh, church fathers were led by the Holy Spirit, because we can see now that it's absolutely vital for our understanding of end time events. Um, and as, when we get these keys that I'm about to show you, that the, the, the curtains are going to be drawn back and you're going to see things like you've never seen before, okay? And so it's included there, it's absolutely vital, and now it seems that the Lord is releasing a new level of revelation about the revelations, of you know, about the book of revelations, Uh, in our age because he's his spirit is talking to the church even today okay so just to remember the word revelation in greek is the word apocalypse and it literally means an opening it's very interesting actually it's even in modern greek you can walk down the streets of athens for example and you know how on a street if a restaurant is going to open up or a shop or something they might put a board in front of the Uh, the shop or the restaurant to let people know of its opening. And literally that A board that might stand in the street, it would have written on it, apocalypse. Why? Because it's an opening. Okay. And that's literally what it means. It means an opening. So God wants to open up this issue to us. Okay. He wants to speak about the future. He wants to reveal hidden things and future things. And that's why the book of Revelation tells us that we'll be blessed if we read it, OK, it will be blessed when it's open. It's got to be open. Don't leave the book of Revelation sort of you know, in the back of your Bible and unread. No, 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 no. This is a prophetic word for us. OK, and it needs to be dived into just as much as the Gospels or any of the epistles. OK, and principally, the reason uh, Revelation is written and included in the canon of Scripture is because it is the book of endings. The word Genesis, the first book in the Bible, means book of beginnings, the genesis of things. But Revelation is the book of endings and every story needs to have a beginning and an end. And so you can see in in Genesis right through to Revelation, a story being told. That which is in seed format in the book of Genesis comes into full fruition in Revelation, but it would be wrong. Every story has an ending. You can't just stop the story halfway through or before the climax. Revelation is the climax. It is the manifestation of the hidden kingdom, so to speak. That which was planted in Eden is now fully manifested in Revelation, all the, 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 the startings of, of Genesis, you now see the endings of them in the book of Revelation. I'll give you a few examples. Uh, for example, in the book of Genesis, you read about a serpent who deceived Eve. Now, that serpent, through the course of human history, now he gets into the book of Revelation. And here he is called the dragon or that serpent of old. So you can see the serpent has now grown and increased. He's now at his maximum size. So the devil, from initially deceiving Eve and taking the authority that was given to mankind and usurping that authority, now you see how he's worked throughout history and through every generation to become this huge great beast that dominates the earth and and so you can see his beginnings but you're also going to see his endings oh hallelujah and how this dragon is going to be thrown into the lake of fire and his story is all over to the glory of God shout amen somebody okay you can also see in the book of Genesis how the tree of life was there Okay, remember there were certain trees. So the tree of life was there by a river. There's, the book of Genesis talks about how in the Garden of Eden there were four tributaries to that river. But then you come over here to Revelation and you'll find that the tree of life now stretches either side of the tree of life. And on it there are fruits that bear, sorry, there, there, there are fruits that are healing for all the nations that are uh, there all the time. And so you can see. A growth. You can see the fullness of that tree of life coming into full fruition there. Book of Genesis, another example. You can read about how Nimrod built a tower called Babel. He organized the world's population at the time to set up, in a sense, a government against God, Okay, to try and be higher than God. He was led by that Lucifer spirit, okay? And so he built this place called Babel. Now, you remember the story how God came down, saw that nothing would be impossible for man now that he was united and therefore divided them by giving them different tongues. But this, this principle of Babel, the Tower of Babel that started then, you come right across into the book of Revelation and you'll find not a Tower of Babel, but a great city called Babylon. So, this Antichrist spirit, this spirit that wants to set up a government against God, wants to to to, to take over from God. You can see that it's no longer a a, a a tower. actually, it's now a worldwide government. It's a huge, great city. It's called the prostitute, okay, showing that people have prostituted themselves with other gods rather than the true God. OK, and so you see this great city in Revelation coming uh, in its fullness. But again, you see how the great city of Babylon has fallen, as the scripture says. So you'll see the end of that system, the judgment of God coming upon that system. OK, so Revelation is the ending story. Genesis is the beginning story and the story of mankind and mankind's redemption has a beginning and has an end. Thankfully, the end for us who believe is an end called eternity. Eternity, future, and it's glorious. Amen. Now, there are three general interpretations uh, as to the book of Revelation. First of all, there are those who think that the book is already fulfilled, all the all the, the writings of it have been fulfilled. So, for example, Nero, the great Roman uh, emperor, he was the Antichrist, they say. The Antichrist prophesied in the book of Revelation, the beast and so forth. He, he, you know, So the beast has already passed. So there are those who think it's already been fulfilled. There are those who think that the prophecies in the book of Revelation will be fulfilled more than once. For example, Nero was the Antichrist, but then you had others such as Hitler or Saddam Hussein or others. And they think that uh, the great tribulation It has been taking place throughout history rather than just a certain specific short period of time at the end of history. Now, in some senses, there's truth in in their position because the Antichrist really is a spirit that can possess lots of different people. So you can see that in dominating tyrants and dictators over the years. Um, But the third category of people, and certainly that's what I believe, is those who think that most of the book is still to come. okay. This is a prophecy, a prophetic book about the end times, the literal end days of the story of redemption here on earth. okay. And so you can see in this book that it was written really for such a time as this. Now, we're going to be looking at the divisions of the book of Revelation, but chapters one to three um, are already fulfilled. But then you'll see that from then on, okay, from chapter four onwards, uh, it has yet to be fulfilled. For example, the restoration of the temple in Jerusalem has yet to be fulfilled. There are many events as so some have been fulfilled, but there are many to be fulfilled. And Revelation deals with all that. Okay. So now I'm going to give you three keys to understanding the book of Revelation. Now, the first key is, is understanding symbols, symbols, okay? Now, the book of Revelation is full of symbols, full of symbols. Some say that this is to obscure the observer, uh, and and, casual observer, I should say, and the unbeliever. They say that it's the glory of God to conceal a matter and the glory of kings to, to search out a matter based on Proverbs 25 and 2. But that would go against the very principle of Revelation, which is to reveal. God's not trying to hide himself. He sent Christ to reveal His self, His goodness, His grace. Okay, um, and so we believe actually that the reason why there's so much symbolism is actually in order that every generation and culture can understand really what's going on because generations change, cultures change, terminology changes okay but this symbolism can be applied into all generations and cultures john of course who wrote it could only use the language that he had of his day to, re- to explain and reveal things that he was seeing far into the future. And of course, imagine if he'd seen an aeroplane or a helicopter. How would he have put that into the terminology of his day? So he used common symbolism, maybe flying animals or creatures and so forth, to describe these things. So there's a lot of symbolism. But the good news is this, that the Bible explains the Bible. So it's not that difficult. okay? And very often, the book of Revelation explains itself. It gives, shows you the image or the, the symbol, and then it explains what that symbol means. If the book of Revelation itself doesn't explain it, then you read other parts of the Bible, and then you get to understand what it means, which is why it's good to, have a, to know the full counsel of the word of God. okay? Now, I'll give you a few examples of that. For example, Revelation 1 and 12 talks about the seven lampstands. OK, but in Revelation 1 and 20, the lampstands, we are told, are churches. And likewise, likewise, in the first chapter, we read about seven stars. But again, the scripture explains the scripture and says the seven stars are seven angels or messengers. OK, Revelation 4, there are seven lamps of fire and we're told that they are spirits. Revelation 5, we read about seven eyes uh, that are seven spirits. And again, in Revelation 12, we touched on this the dragon, the picture of the dragon there is the devil. We hear the incense, for example, are the prayers of the saints. In Revelation 13, we read about a beast with ten horns. And yet we come over to Revelation 17 and we read that these ten horns represent ten nations. So the Bible's explaining the Bible. In Revelation 17 and 15, we read about the waters. Uh, and how later that the waters are the nations or the gentile nations you'll see that right through revelation the land represents israel but the seas or the water represents the gentile nations okay and so that's why we know that the prostitute or the, the 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 beast will come out of the sea meaning he'll come out of the gentile nations the false prophet though will come out of israel Okay, and then in Revelation 19 and 8, you can read uh, that uh, the saints will be clothed in fine linen, but it explains itself. It says, These are the righteous acts of the saints. And therefore, it is possible to understand the prophecies. When you read about a symbol, you'll be able to find what that symbol means in some part of the book of Revelation or in another part of it. Okay? So the Bible was given to be understood through various generations. It took 2,000 years to write it, and it still dealt with the future, even though it took so long. And so the good thing about symbols, if you think about the wisdom of God in this, is that they are timeless, timeless, okay? Other things pass away, but symbolism or symbols, they get passed down from generation to generation. And normally the symbolism that is used in Scripture Uh, points to nature or uses nature to communicate what God is trying to do. So we hear a lot about sowing and reaping and winds and seas and so forth. Why? Because that's something that every generation can understand. So it's not the goal of the Lord to conceal, it's the goal of the Lord to reveal. It's not a closed book, but it's an open book. It's full of symbols, yes, but you can understand these symbols. Now, the second key that I want to give you is the key of numbers. Now, This is not numerology. We're not talking about magic, magic numbers. And not all numbers in scripture have particular meanings, but many do and when you understand numbers and biblical the biblical meaning of numbers then again revelation will open up to you in a new way this is a second key that i'm giving you okay so number 1 okay i'll go through some of them the most important ones the number 1 speaks of harmony okay god is only there is only one god he is the absolute god he is the one god and father okay and so number 1 speaks of him It speaks of uh, him being first. It speaks, if you think about it, the firstborn always belongs to God. The first fruits always belong to God. So number one represents God. Number two represents Jesus. He's the second man or the second Adam, as scripture says. And two points to him. Remember, there were two witnesses in the sense of there is the law and there is the prophets. And both the law and the prophets point to Jesus. Okay, In the book of Revelation, you're going to hear about two witnesses who prophesy in the streets of Jerusalem. Many people think and I believe that they have both Moses and Elijah. Moses representing the law, Elijah representing the prophets, and they will prophesy and they point to Jesus, okay? There are two covenants, the old and the new. One is a shadow, the other is a reality, okay? But they both point to Jesus. The Old Testament's like a photograph, but the New Testament's like Jesus arriving, manifesting. They're both pointing to Jesus, okay? And so number two speaks of Jesus. Number three is one of the numbers of perfection, okay? And there are two others, seven and 12. But let's look at number three. Number three points to the triune God, okay? God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And of course, God made man in his image and likeness. And that is why we, as human beings, we are triune as well. We have three parts or dimensions. We have body, soul, and spirit. And you can see that, therefore, this all points to the perfection of God. It's interesting that when you look at other things uh, that we have here on earth, um, we have, for example, music and all music to make music. What you need is a melody. You need harmony and you need rhythm. Hallelujah. Those three things make music. The same with family. Family is made up of Father, mother, son, you have those three. That's a complete number of perfection, okay? And in some senses, when God uh, created the earth, he left his signature or his mark upon it. The Bible says, right in Genesis one and one, that God made the heavens and the earth. And the way the word God there is Elohim, and Elohim, any any Hebrew word ending in the ending him, okay, is a plural. It's rather like our s in English, okay, and so it shows a plural God or a triune God. And so this. Trinity left its signature or its mark or its imprint on the earth. And that's why so many things on earth have three dimensions. Okay. You have length, you have breadth, and you have height. You have time past, you have time present, and time future. Okay. You have three states. You have solid, you have liquid, and you have gas. You have three kingdoms the animal kingdom, the vegetable kingdom, and the mineral kingdom. Okay. So this is a number showing the perfection of God. Also, think with me. Uh, Paul, for example, he prayed three times that the Lord would take away his affliction and then God gave him the answer. Jesus prayed three times in Gethsemane and then God showed him that the cross was the only way. Peter negated or denied Christ three times and then he was restored three times, okay? There's a threefold testimony of Christ here on earth, the spirit, the word and blood. So all these things show a complete work. OK, that when God does something, he does it perfectly. He does it completely. Amen. Now, number four really relates directly to the earth. There are four winds. Um, there are four elements, air, wind, fire and water. And interestingly, when you look at the book of Daniel, you'll see that there are four main elements empires okay which go through the course of history like I said the four winds really and they point to the north south east and the west and cover the whole earth and this shows God in relation to earth number five is the number of grace okay and it's interesting that when you're full of grace then if you think you've got five fingers on your hand you become useful your arm your hand can be used by God because now you're full of grace. David chose five stones to defeat Goliath. So when you're full of grace, that means you can be a giant killer. You can overcome by the power of God's grace. All the devil's work. Interestingly, again, Christ used five loaves to feed a crowd of Five thousand. So you can see that because of grace, God is able to multiply to you so much more than you actually give to him. It's all a question of unmerited favor that comes into your life. Uh, Interestingly, there are five books in the Pentateuch, Okay, the books of Moses, the fifth book being Deuteronomy, which is the book that really in the Old Testament reveals the grace of God. And there are five books in the New Testament Pentateuch a Pentateuch. Okay, let me explain. There are four Gospels, but there's also the book of Acts. And of course, the book of Acts traces the last days of Christ before his ascension into heaven. Okay, and these all reveal the grace and the favor of God to mankind. Let's go to number six, because that's often the one most quoted and thought about because of the number 666. Now, the number six really is the number of man without god or the number of the, the devil with man rather than god with man we know that man was created on the 6th day and that man can work for 6 days so everything points to man okay now the mark of the beast the book of revelation tells us is the number 666 so it's a man okay who is full of the devil okay somebody who's literally been given demonic capacity in a sense it's the apex of independence of man against god or without god if if six is the number of man then 666 is not just uh a man at a basic level, but the superlative of man—it's an extraordinary man, but not extraordinary because of the power of God, but because of the power of Satan used used in that man. So this man will have all sorts of incredible capacities and abilities. The beast of the end times will cause the nations to marvel. Okay, it's interesting that uh, there's uh, if, if you look at Scripture, Goliath, David had five five fingers clearly and use five stones to defeat him okay but the bible says that Goliath had six fingers and six toes because he represents a man filled with the devil okay somebody who was rebelling against God trying to destroy the armies of the Lord and of course we live in a generation now where there are great moves a one world government great great ideologies that are rebellions against god the heart of that is a thing called humanism humanism places god excuse me humanism places man at the center of all things and rejects god god is really the center but humanism rejects it and says man is the center of all things Okay yeah, so it 's the apex of rebellion against God, and this has been going on for years and years, and like I say, the great city of Babylon really is a representative of that it 's man in his own strength, with his own religion, setting up his own ways it 's interesting that uh, this world, following the the chronological calendars and dates of the bible, this world has been in existence for 6,000 years, okay, 6,000, uh, we're coming now into the seventh millennium, which is a time when number seven is the number of God, so at the end of the sixth, at the end of man's reign, God's reign comes when Christ returns, So six is the number of man filled with the devil. Sadly, that humanistic doctrine has filled so many of our churches, so much self-help taught rather than the gospel of Jesus Christ taught. And that's literally made churches weak or given them only the power of man rather than the power of God. Now, the number seven, as I touched on just now, is another number of completion or perfection, especially in relation to the action of God in the story of mankind okay so we know that Enoch for example was the seventh from Adam he was the one to be taken to be with God completely so God reached down and snatched him away okay seven is made up of three and four three represents God the triune God four represents man so it's when man and God now meet all right so Enoch was embraced by God let's say he was raptured snatched away by God uh, Jacob, we know, served for seven years. He paid this price to get his bride. He got his complete desires he was representative of God again, embracing mankind. He wanted his bride. Uh, Joseph, uh, in the book of Genesis, we read that he prophesied about seven years of plenty and seven years of famine. So these show the full cycles Okay, the go. So we're coming out of one cycle, going into another. The blood was sprinkled on the mercy seat seven times. That shows that pardon is now complete. Seven shows completion. Okay. The feast of tabernacles was seven days long. That points to the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jericho was defeated in seven days. It was completely destroyed, raised to the ground. The complete work of God. Naaman dipped seven times into the River Jordan came up with completely new flesh talking about the or pointing to the new birth and the new creation a complete finished work for whoever believes so seven is the number of God's complete work in relation to mankind. Okay, we know that Job had seven sons. I'm giving you lots of detail here. Uh, after he was attacked by Satan, he had a new family, which points to the new dispensation. He had seven sons, so he was completely restored and delighted. There are seven deacons appointed to the early church, there are seven parables in the book of Matthew. Which show the complete picture of the kingdom of God. There are seven churches, you're gonna see it soon in the book of Revelation, which shows all types of church and all dispensations of the church ages. There are seven spirits, okay? And that shows the spirit of God in its fullness. There are seven lamps of fire. Okay, and those are the spirits. So, like I said, this this shows that God, in all His fullness, is manifesting. Okay, and also we see in the book of Revelation, John sees a Lamb with seven eyes and seven horns, and this literally means that He's been given all. He's He is the seven eyes point to His omniscience. Okay, the seven horns point to His omnipotent power. Hallelujah! That He is complete that he is the glorious one. So three and seven, and finally, I just want to touch on 12, because that really follows on from this. 12 is also the number of completion, but this time in eternity. And that's why you have 12 disciples, 12 gates on the new Jerusalem. Okay. And 12 times 12, 144,000, we believe, Jews who are messianic Jews who are saved in this end time move of God. At the end of tribulation, so that points of that's a way that we can look into eternity is through the number twelve. And finally, today I want to give you the third key, which is the divisions of the Book of Revelation. Now, there are twenty-two chapters in Revelation. Chapter one speaks of the revelation of Christ. Okay, who he is. Okay, and you're going to see that no none of the Gospels really describe his appearance. They describe what he did, but Revelation reveals him in his glorified state. It's absolutely wonderful. Chapter two and three, they are the letters to the seven churches. And chapter four to 22 uh, is the conclusion of the story of redemption. Okay. Now in terms of a whole, remember there are 22 chapters. Now chapter one to chapter 11 are chronological events. Okay. So that's following... Uh, time timetable okay one event after the other but when you get to the end of chapter 11 effectively that's where the story ends okay then chapter 12 to 22 are additional descriptions of the personages and the happenings uh, that have occurred in those that first section from one to 11. So it's kind of like an overlay. You've got chapter one to 11, which tells you the whole story and then chapter 12 to 22, which is an overlay that now gives you much more detail so you can understand the story, okay? So John, in a sense, what happens is he describes the main events and then he comes back and he then goes through it again so that you can really get a grasp of it. If you can understand that, this is gonna really help you in these coming days, okay? It's in some ways a bit like the four gospels. There are four gospels. If you think about a printer, the print a printer has four colors, okay? If your printer isn't working properly, it may only print one or two colors, for example, you'll get a very pale image. You need the four colors to get the full picture. So you have one color overlaid on the other, and then when you get the full picture of Christ. The same with the book of Revelation. You need these layers in order to get the full picture otherwise it remains rather pale okay and then finally just to say that the other main uh, themes that are coming through in the book of revelation are the fact that there are seven seals seven trumpets and seven bowls or seven cups that tell the whole story okay now the seven seals very quickly they speak of God's decrees on earth since Christ's ascension Until his return. Okay, so there are seven seals. The first to the fourth are the horsemen, okay? The four horsemen that are sent out and we'll deal with that. But this has been happening over the course of 2,000 years since Christ's ascension. Those four horsemen, those four seals have already been opened. The fifth seal speaks of Christian martyrs. You know, right now in the world today, people think that martyrdom is something of the past. No, there's an average of about 200,000 Christians per year being martyred for their faith much more obviously than any other religion the sixth seal speaks of the last advice warning given to man to convert before the great tribulation and that's why these are celestial warnings great warnings in the heavens now the seventh seal is seven trumpets and this is how it works so the seventh seal leads to seven trumpets the seven trumpets leads to the seven cups or bowls. But let's deal with the trumpets quickly. The first to the fourth trumpet are the judgment of God over the earth, the land, the rivers, and in many natural ways. The fifth and the sixth are the judgment of God in supernatural ways. And the seventh trumpet is this revealing of the seven cups or the seven bowls, okay? And they all speak about the coming of the Lord. At the end of the great tribulation, uh, they talk about uh, the judgments. And then wonderfully, they talk about the millennial kingdom to come and of course, eternity present. So I've given you three keys today. There's a lot of information there, okay? But understanding those three keys of symbolism, okay? Number one. Number two, we dealt with numbers, okay? And number three, we dealt with these uh, um, divisions in the book of Revelation. If you take those keys, when we go actually dive into the first chapters book of revelation you're going to start using those keys and everything's going to open up for you let me just finish by praying and asking god to bless you father i thank you that you give my brothers and sisters watching this the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of jesus christ holy spirit i thank you that you quicken their hearts that you open their eyes so that they can see like never before use the oil of the holy spirit like i salve to wash their eyes, so that they can see. And in seeing and marvelling at Christ, I thank you that they are transformed into your image to the glory of God and for their own good. In Jesus' mighty name. God bless you. Okay. So excited to be with you. And I know God's got great things for us in the future. God bless you.